0: Welcome to the New Town Big Dreams Podcast, an interview style talk show that's your gateway to the fabulous and fascinating people who relocated to start a new life. Whether you're new to our podcast or your city, our fellow neighbors from across Canada, North America, and the entire English-speaking world share their stories of reaching new horizons and big dreams. So sit back and relax as we navigate in-depth and intimate conversations with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, executives, creatives... And anyone who can share their story about their new town, big dreams. And now, here's your host, Luke J. Menkis. Hey
1: everybody, it is April 29th, 2021. It is 12.30 p.m. here on the West Coast. Today I'm with Catherine Canty, and she is in Camden, South Carolina. Catherine is a tenacious connector and a recovering banker. She's a leadership coach, and she helps high-potential managers turn into senior leaders. Catherine's sales program for business-to-business selling is creating exceeding results. We're going to talk all about it. Catherine is a wife and a mom, and she cares about closing the broadband gaps. So we're talking about uh, high-speed internet and lack of access in rural communities. So first of all, Catherine, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, Luke, for having me. I'm very excited to uh, just share stories with you today.
1: Beautiful. So you're in Camden, South Carolina. Tell us about, I haven't heard of it before. Um, where Where is it?
2: Yeah, yeah, so... Um- Most people are familiar with North Carolina and um, over on the uh, East Coast. And North Carolina has a lot of banking capitals. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of banks are headquartered there. So um, I am in South Carolina, which is um, right below. And Charlotte International Airport is about an hour above me. So um, as I traveled around the country for the past 20 plus years, I often went up to Charlotte international and flew out wherever I needed to. And it allowed me to still live in a smaller community. And, um, anytime we need to get away and go have a nice dinner that is in a larger city and and just experience that it's only about an hour away. So, um, it's nice to have a little, a mix of both.
1: Is that where you're from?
2: No, my husband is from here and, um, I like to joke about it. Not everybody thinks it's funny um, around here, but since you're on the West Coast, I'll, I'll tell you my, my bit of a joke. Um, my yeah. husband, um, his family founded this place, um, I think it was back in the 1700s, is what the aunts and uncles tell me. And wow. so when he got, I guess, to be around marrying age, he could marry a cousin, or he could marry me. <laughs> and uh, so he married me, and then slowly over the years, he's convinced me to um, to move to Campton Part of my deal was um, we can we can live here, but I don't want to live in a forever house because that kind of sounded so permanent and scary. And right. um, so my deal was I just wanted to renovate houses part time, you know, as as, as we we're working full time. And uh, that was my way of of being able to kind of set roots in a smaller community and um, allow me to still have a bit of creativity and flexibility at the same time.
1: Right. So you moved there because of marriage. Uh, Where did you grow up?
2: Um, We moved around a little bit growing up, and um, the bulk of my time was in Greenville, South Carolina. And um, if anybody's familiar with South Carolina, Greenville has just taken off in a really, really great way. Um, They've Mm -hmm. worked hard to renovate and revitalize their downtown area. And uh, the restaurants and the businesses and, and everything has just been a huge success up there. So I lived up there probably 20, 25 years ago before any of that was established. And, um, so I spent the bulk of my time in South Carolina. I've also, um, spent some of my childhood in Kentucky and Indiana, but the bulk of it was in Greenville, South Carolina.
1: Okay. So what is, um, Camden like you mentioned, it's kind of a small town. It's an hour from, uh, Charlotte. Um, uh, what's, what's it like? as it how?
2: It is a, um, it's a historic city. It's the oldest inland city in South Carolina. It is the sister city to Charleston, so a lot of people understand Charleston and and kind of that historic um, vibe that it has. And um, there's a lot of like sister type buildings that are in Camden. Um, it's a horse capital. So we have a steeplechase race that um, happens every um, every spring. And uh, Aiken, South Carolina is the other horse capital uh, in our area. So um, a lot of horses, a lot of heritage, a lot of um, just history and um, a lot of newness is coming in since we see a big influx of, uh, of new folks coming in from these larger cities. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how it evolves. And um, we're still in a place where we can walk our kids to school um, every day. And um, it's a pretty, pretty awesome experience to be able to still be able to work and, um, and, and be able to just live in a small town.
1: Nice. Sounds beautiful. Um, last question about Camden. What uh, is the situation with the COVID uh, lockdowns there?
2: So the, um, the COVID situation has been a little tricky. I think we live in a bit of a bubble where we are um, in the sense that, you know, we just have the same group of friends that we've been hanging out with, I guess we now call them our COVID friends. That's probably a term that we're all beginning to learn around the country. And Mm -hmm. um, I think before COVID, these were the same folks that we were hanging out with. So um, we just have a small network of uh, of just friends that get together for for dinners and you know walk over to the neighbor's house and and still be able to have that friendship and um, you know it was a little slow in the beginning of, of being able to get out but in the south you know we've we've got pretty nice weather we're able to get out get fresh air be able to go for walks we have a lot of parks where we live. And um, as a as a part of that, um, you begin to see some of the older folks be able to get lawn chairs and drive over to the park and sit in you know the spaced out circles and still be able to have conversations and and um, communicate with folks. so that human connection is is really important in our community and um, because we're not, you know, a heavily populated area. Um, I kind of feel like our our COVID friends and our bubble has pretty much stayed consistent compared to what I've seen elsewhere around the world.
1: Yeah, that's great. That's great. So you um, facilitated a $12.1 million public-private investment and you were helping a rural community to get broadband. Tell us that story.
2: Yeah, it's my rural community get broadband. So it's, okay. it's selfish it's <laughs> so in all candidate. attempts. <laughs> yeah, it's it's our county, it's Kershaw County. So um yeah, I I was in banking a number of years and twenty plus years, and towards the end of it, um, my last seven years I spent on the road helping rural communities um with providing them huge lines of credit and technology through a bank called Farm Credit. And that opened up a lot of opportunities for me to learn what the struggles were in these in these communities. And a lot of these struggles are the same throughout all the rural communities. And what we're noticing is there's not a consistent um, solution for broadband. And through a lunch and learn I met a gentleman who could actually map where these gaps are. And by mapping these gaps, that allows us to be a provider-friendly community if we can come together as a community and and say if we can get broadband in these gaps that we'll work together um, as a community to support um, the efforts that are taking place. And so about a year before this federal grant went out, we actually got together as a community with the farmers and the, um, the educators, the medical community, workforce development, political officials, et cetera, and I'm downplaying this question, but I, I asked in the room, do we need reliable broadband for our future? And um, despite all the backgrounds and difference of opinions and, and just different differences in there, everybody unanimously agreed that, yes, this is something that we need. And so as a result of that, um, I cold called on the only telecommunication provider that was available um, for this particular grant. So different pieces of funding are available for different telecommunication providers. And um, with this particular one, reached out to them, said, hey, we've, we've got the mapping, we've got the community support, um, we understand that you're available to apply for this grant, we would love to work with you um, and support your efforts if you could help close this broadband gap. And um, I did not know that they were going through a merger at the time, and uh, so they were kind enough to uh, take the risk. And so we helped provide all the letters in the community that helped increase the points for the request for proposal. And um, we were actually the only folks in the state of South Carolina to receive the full funding, the full grant um, piece, and um, other portions were available between just being able to get a loan, a low-interest loan. Um, There was another piece that was a loan and a grant. We went all in for the grant, and uh, as a result, it is a $12.1 million investment that is both public and private, so 9 of that came from, um, 9.1 came from the federal government, so that's your um your public money and then the um the telecommunication provider had to show good faith and had to put some of their own money in there and that's where the other 3 million came in
1: right so for those of us who live in urban areas and broadband is something we take for granted mm-hmm. like i've always had it um most places that i've lived uh, um it's always been available so why is that important for small communities like besides netflix and the things that we the fun Take stuff. for granted. <laughs> yeah. What is the, um, what's the, what's the reason that's so important? For uh, small I would say
2: the number one reason is food and feeding America and feeding this world. So, um, huh. if you haven't been out to your farm lately, I highly encourage you to go out there and introduce yourself to your local farmer. Um, Get to know them and get to see that technology that they have out on the farm. Um, I was at a farm in Vermont learning about dairies and maple farming. And if you want to see technology at work, there it is. It is robotic milkers for the dairy. It is basically automated vacuum cleaners that are sweeping the feed back into the stalls I mean, these are jobs, these are hardworking jobs that have a high turnover, and um, they're able to automate that stuff and they're able to keep the animals healthy and safe with the automation that comes with this stuff. And technology is number one, um, or the agriculture is number one, and the need that they have. And, um, you know, just to take it a bit further, and how ag gets into other industries. You know, we were developing an online loan application for our farmers, and until I got in the dirty old pickup truck and rode out to talk to the farmers, little did we know back at the bank that we can have an online la- online application all day long, but until they have reliable broadband, we can't take an online loan application out there. So there's a big mm-hmm. disconnect with that. Um, so agriculture is one piece. Telecommunic- uh, tele- tele- telehealth is huge. Um, We're in a small community. We have a local hospital. We're fortunate enough to have that. But we also have transportation challenges. And you've got folks that are living in the country, which is where they want to live, but they need to be able to go see a doctor. They don't have access to transportation to go see the doctor. Or they need to get test results. Or they need a referral to a bigger hospital um, in another city telecommunication, or tele, excuse me for keep saying that, but telehealth is actually going to help ease um, the folks that are still living at home and um, want to keep living in their home. And this is going to help them with that. Education, you know, just K through 12, when COVID came through, I've got a second grader. Um, We're one of the... um, The first communities in South Carolina back back a long time ago to actually do a one-to-one, which is one tablet per kid. And um, that works if you've got broadband at the house. It doesn't work if you don't have broadband. So, um, you know, these parents are having to go find local school buses that have hotspots in them um, in order for them to be able to do their school their schoolwork. And um, another piece of it is just workforce development. you got moms and dads and people at home that want to further their education and further their careers. You can't do that if you don't have broadband and take the online classes at home. So um, it's just, it impacts everybody. And these rural communities don't need to be left behind. Um, A lot of people are realizing this is where they want to live, especially during COVID. And um, we need to be able to support the folks there.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. So you used to work in corporate America. You're more of a solopreneur now. Um, Edward Jones, I think, is a financial services company, right? Mm-hmm. Did you get fired from Edward Jones? I did. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, would you like to share that story with us?
2: Um, it's it's not very glamorous, but yeah, so that was one of my first jobs out of college. And um, you know, you got to study on your own and, and be able to take these series tests to do the investments. And um to be honest, I've never been a good test taker. And why start at the age of 22 when you get out of college that you're going to be a better test taker? So uh, I, you know, I studied, I showed up, I did what I thought I had to do. And um thankfully, I got out of school. Not just by taking tests, but by showing up and doing the projects and and being creative in other ways. So, um, let me give the rest of the world some hope. If if you don't take tests well, then that's fine. There are other careers out there for you. Um, but yeah, so when it came down to taking the the test, the series test, missed it by three points, and it was mm-hmm. you know upsetting at the time. And you know, gosh, it's been so long and I've had so many other wonderful opportunities that came. It's it's right. just part of, you know, failures that have happened along the way. And that's just one of them.
1: For sure. And you uh, sold healthcare, supplemental healthcare door to door. What was that like?
2: Um, That's pretty, pretty hard. That was, again, one of the first jobs out of college. So here I am, got a four-year degree, um, just starting out. I've got lots of jobs in the beginning that didn't work out. And um, needless to say that, you know, once I got past these few bumps in the road, I had a great 12-year career in one bank and seven years in another. Um, But selling supplemental health insurance allowed me um, to learn a closing process, they sent me off to Chicago and um, stayed in a in a sales camp for for two weeks, and that was two weeks before I got married, and just made the decision I'd go up there and learn how to sell insurance. And it's um, probably not the best idea to send a twenty two year old out into the country selling supplemental health insurance, but um,
1: I was. is that pretty tough? Was that uh, really challenging?
2: Did you get a lot
1: of door slammed, or
2: um, no? They were friendly, but it just from a safety standpoint. For mm. a twenty-two year old female, not a good idea yeah. by yourself. Not today, right? So um, right. I've got you know some scary stories from that, and I think I have nine lives and made it out of some of them. And um, some of the just experiences that I probably should not have been in, and mm. um, you know, just trust your gut. If you feel like you need to leave. A place where you are, just get up and get out. And um, if it there's too many other incredible opportunities out there, to um to feel like you're stuck in one position or in one job.
1: Oh yeah, totally. I've got uh, two daughters and two stepdaughters, and uh, we're always telling them about safety. Mm-hmm. They think they're invincible because they're teenagers, but uh, we're always cautioning them: be careful. So, um, you sold mortgages when mortgages were at twenty one percent was anybody taking a mortgage loan when interest rates were that high?
2: yeah, all day long, so i really? had yeah, I did that job for eighteen months and um within Within 12 to 18 months, um, I was doing 2 and 300% of my goals. So it started out as a 90-day same-as-cash. So you go in and buy a piece of furniture, and this was um, 90 days same same-as-cash. We'd flip that into an unsecured note, and then we would turn that into a secured car loan, and then we would turn that into refi on the mortgage and um, add a second, and sometimes go up 125% loan-to-value on the house. And then sell a credit card and a cash card and an advance. And when you looked at it, it reduced the overall rate that they were paying and mm. gave them, you know, a lower payment, lower overall rate. And it was legal at the time. So um, <laughs> that's what we did. And then I think the financial market imploded after that.
1: Yeah, right. So um, tell us what are some of your favorite books?
2: Favorite books? um, Think and Grow Rich is a great mm-hmm. one. Um, Story Brand is a great one. Um, yeah. You know, I'm looking at them right now. Growth IQ is great. Uh, Atomic Habits.
1: That's a great one. I yeah. just finished that about six months ago.
2: Win with Daniel Pink. Um, Triggers. Dare to Lead. I got all kinds. I love them.
1: Right. Yeah. Um. So, do you have a framework that helps you succeed with building influence and growing your business?
2: Yeah. So, after spending twenty plus years in sales, you know, flopping a lot in the beginning, failing a lot in my career, um, going through countless sales programs with everywhere I've ever worked, and um, what I realized is I could actually package all these these. Tools together and just give somebody the Cliff Notes because I always wish I just could have the Cliff Notes and I live the Cliff Notes <laughs> and um, it's you know living through it and and putting it together is is two different things. So I decided to put it together. I've got it broken down into basically three modules and. Um, Began to sell that last year. The first module is all about um, your story and how do you clearly communicate that with others in order to make it easy for them to work with you. Um, The second uh, module is all about leading with influence, and you've got folks like us that are the change makers, and then you also have the resistors. And as humans, we like to focus on resistors and we don't need to worry about them, Um, but Mm -hmm. we do need to focus on those that are between us and the resistors, and those are the skeptics. And so when we can build relationships and wins with the skeptics, we can begin to create some small change. And then the final module that I have um, is all about LinkedIn and how do you control your network given a time when you can't leave your house as easily. And uh, LinkedIn is an incredible tool that's out there in order to connect and learn from other people. And uh, there's some, you know, small things that you can do on LinkedIn in order to build your network in a proactive way.
1: Mm. That's great. I would like to get better at uh, using my LinkedIn. I've got a big network, but I don't really do much with it. Not really sure, you know, how to work that correctly. So um, so a little bit more on that. How do you use small wins to create big change?
2: Just for example, with the, with the uh, broadband piece, you know, it was just a small win to get people to show up. At a meeting, to be able to ask mm-hmm. the question Do we need reliable broadband to close or to be able to um, support our community's future? Um, celebrating that win, um, taking a, a cold call opportunity to a telecommunication provider, that's a small win. They said yes, that they talked to me. That alone is a small win. Um, being able to apply for a grant, um, again, submit that countless amount of paperwork that goes through there. A small win when the grant came in, it's a win, um, but now it's the hard work of digging the ditches and getting the fiber put out there. Two hundred and fifty-six miles of fiber doesn't lay itself, so um, you know these are going to be small wins as they begin to close the gap in different communities, and then having to work through the communications that so not everybody gets broadband. Um, it's it's going to be you know a struggle to be able to get through that, but really we just need to stay focused on. You know one day at a time and being able to just celebrate what wind did happen during that day, and when you look back on it, you've got two years worth of wins, and it sounds like it might have you know we got lucky and we didn't get lucky. Um, we just stay persistence on these uh small wins that that look like something great at the end of the two years.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm always uh telling people to get a mentor. I think it's really important, but uh, you talk about a difference between sponsorship. Mentorship. What is the difference and why is that important?
2: It's a huge, huge difference between the two. Um, mentors are great. You know, they kind of help you be soundboards throughout conversations. And um, if I didn't have any sponsors, I wouldn't be where I am right now. And a sponsor is somebody who you can still use as a soundboard, but really um, the sponsor is the person who has your back when you're not mm-hmm. in the room. And that's when succession planning is taking place. That's when people are beginning to, you know, identify what the, what the future is going to hold within an organization and whether or not you're going to be a part of it. And um, sponsors can make or break your career. They can block you into jobs and they can um, open up doors. So a big difference is um, the sponsor is the one that advocates for you when the doors are closed and you're not in the room.
1: Right. Excellent. So uh, you have a resource page. Mm-hmm. Tell us about uh, your website and what we can find there.
2: Thank you. Um, yeah, so com, And then um, I've got a resource page that's available out there. And I like to be able to share the information that I'm learning. And uh, as I come across articles and um, just, you know, compile information, I'm posting it out there. Also the other um, podcasts that I've been fortunate enough to be able to be a guest on, I'm posting those out there. And um, if you see anything that piques your interest, feel free to reach out. I'd be happy to listen and learn um, what you're working on and and see if there's anything I can do to help.
1: Okay. Well, that's great. I really appreciate your time. It's uh, obvious you're extremely busy. And so uh, we're really grateful that you spent some time with us today. Let us get to know you a little bit better. So um, thank you.
2: Thank you so much, Luke. I really appreciate it. And I um, enjoyed all of your homework. You've done quite a good job.
1: <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Newtown Big Dreams podcast with your host, Luke Menkes, and his authentic guests. And we love our listeners and hope you subscribe now to learn more about the amazing journeys of our incredible guests who relocated to find a new town, big dreams. And remember, make your dreams big.